I'm still tired from Saturday, JB. I got to be honest with you. Four hours on the air. I had to uh, take a trip down to New York City uh, right after that, ref a couple of games. But um, the, the four hours while tiring uh, can always be very rewarding when we do the D3 Blitzer. Third year we did it on Saturday. And um, what were some of your takeaways from that show before we get to some highlights from it? Well, for the first time, the, the equipment worked really well. <laughs> we didn't have any like, major crash and burns with a blank screen. Uh, so that was fun. Um, and actually, we got to see some games that were really uh, way more interesting. We thought we had these these mixed, you know, these lopsided matchups. But, like, Wesley uh, Kane ended up being probably one of the best games of the weekend. Cortland Hartwick, which we thought was going to be, you know, a runaway by the Red Dragons, came down to the fourth quarter and was a little bit in doubt until that field goal block. So we got to see some some pretty good football games, um, maybe more competitive ones than we thought initially when you just looked at who was playing who. Well, while things did go well on our end generally, except for maybe 10 minutes of me uh, in my chair uh, because we had the wrong guy camera up, but thanks to Greg Thomas for catching that one for us. It happens. Uh, we also uh, do want to point out some of the better moments of uh, the show. Uh, maybe not technical glitches on our end, but maybe some brain freezes by us or brain freezes yes, by right. camera crews from around the country. Uh, let's uh, look at the best of D3 Blitzer 2019. And we'll start this look. Uh, let's uh, start with uh, you know some of the technical difficulties we can't control, like Western New England. Boy, uh, it was seven zero for a long time in that game until we realized it froze. Uh, the transmission froze, and next thing we knew, it was twenty one to zero, and then that froze. Uh, so good luck finding highlights from that one. Huston had the same problem, though. In fact, uh, you try to find the archive of a great game. Uh, finish versus Salve Regina, it, it's not there. Uh, the second half is missing. And uh, we may not even have clips and crunch time later on. But this happens. It happens. And we had 16-plus games we were tracked. It happens. Um, you know, when you're doing the show, you do rely on those high-quality broadcasts that the folks at these schools do present us. However, we do have one minor complaint with Hartwick. You'll see right here. Yeah, that's a that is, that's a tough spot. And oh, wait a minute, oh, he's gone. Turn the camera. Turn the camera. Turn the camera. Did he get there? There he goes. Uh, can't tell. It doesn't look like he scored because nobody's excited. And I thought Tobard. Just for those that don't know, the ball got to the 28-yard line, then 14 Man. yards of penalty for sideline interference, we found out from the stats later on, and then uh, there was a Cole Burgess touchdown immediately following that. So don't worry, we're right on top of that. We, we, we've got all the info you need well after the fact. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, you know camera uh, issues and whatnot, MIT. Great broadcast. Scoreboard looks good. Yeah, <laughs> well, hold on. Before him, let, let's just look at 
the, this fact that I can't see what's going on in this field of play. I think I can see like 8-bit characters running up and down the field, but you can't be serious that you can't zoom the camera. Okay, let's do that. But one moment when you needed to zoom out was what JB was just uh, sort of suggesting. Uh, what is this man with the Harvard hat doing at halftime in this camera <laughs> shot? He obviously knows he's on camera because he's playing up to it. But my goodness. Right. Hello, sir. How are you? We did catch him during that. Um, you know, as, as the games go on, though, JB, your, your uh, you know, analysis of everything it gets better and better. In fact, here's my favorite analysis of yours during Saturday. We'll see what happens with the playoffs, Frank. But Jeff Berman's making a strong case for a potential kind of Coach of the Year award, in my opinion. He's really done a heck of a job for Union. Yeah, you think? I mean, seriously, it's <laughs> almost a no-brainer uh, at this I mean, point. Yep. Um, quality. Yeah, J JB what, with Jeff Berman. That's what the come here for, man. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Behrman, <laughs> maybe Coach of the Year, folks. There's a huge secret on that one that nobody uh, could have considered. I'll tell you. And uh, then finally, you know, as games come to a conclusion, you just never know what you're going to get. You might get a blue screen, or you might get what happens at Wesley, like right there. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the best yeah. of uh, yeah. our uh, D3 uh, Blitzer uh, 2019 moments. And uh, for those wondering, we are... Uh, we do have clearance from the NCAA uh, to do a 2019 Bracket Blitz show at d3football.com, so you'll want to tune in for that. That said... Get your clearance, Clarence. Amen. We've got a lot of games to cover, 36 of them, in fact. So let's begin in the Huddle's host chat for Week 10. Week 10, uh, just one more week left here, and uh, then the playoffs uh, at that point, yeah. as we say down here, yeah. uh, seven bids down, one to go, maybe more, we'll see, we'll talk about that in the show. We did the bracket, or yeah, the blitzer, I should say, uh, bracket blitzes in two weeks, uh, but what were your takeaways from the action? You, you kind of broke down some of the surprising games and whatnot, but the overall action that we saw in the games that we covered and some of the games we didn't cover on Saturday. Well, um, <clears throat> with the exception of that one to go, um, the the conference champions or the championships kind of played out like we thought. Um, you know, Brockport uh, won, although in a, in a more of a defensive battle than we thought. Western New England won, um, kind of running away. Uh, Framingham State took care of Bridgewater a little easier than we may have thought. So, yeah, I mean, there was um, – Things kind of worked out like we expected, but the, the results and how things panned out didn't necessarily follow our predictions. But, um, you know, we, we know uh, at this point who all the conference champions are except for one. Um, hats off to uh, Middlebury Panthers, who officially finished the NESCAC season 9-0 and for the first time in, in their program's history. 
So congrats to Coach Ritter on that. Would love to see the Panthers in the NCAA playoffs, but you know they took their ball and went home. Maybe someday, Frank, but uh, not anytime real soon. But they uh, will journey in and company. Heck of a season for them. And uh, so now it's kind of come down to it, the last last question is: Is it MIT, Springfield, or WPI? We'll, we'll go through uh, which uh, can win how uh, in this show. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through a crunch time segment and uh, essentially uh, go through the scores and the schedule and standings all together again. Uh, JB will give us about 30 seconds, he promised me uh, today, because uh, we're going to try to keep this very tight for the simple reason. We have way too many games to cover uh, this go around, 36 of them. Uh, we lose a bunch of those games uh, next week uh, for reasons we'll talk about during crunch time. And then uh, after crunch time and JB's stat chat, which we have a, a brand new jingle for coming up uh, in just a little bit, we, we, we have production value like no other show out there, oh, folks, yeah. <laughs> or, or like none at all. Um, but uh, then we will have our uh, pr prior live show with the regional rankings uh, so that uh, the, they're released Wednesdays, as you know, and earlier in the day on Wednesday, uh, we did our live show once they were released to talk about what they all mean, and we'll, we'll tack it on at the end of this show as well. You'll want to stay tuned Thursday for great interviews with Grant Tragney of RPI, uh, senior captain there, and Bill George, who announced his retirement from Coast Guard Academy on Tuesday, uh, He's uh, facing off against Merchant Marine Academy for Secretary's Cup on this Saturday. Uh, enjoy talking with him immensely. That's on Thursday. Friday, live predictions. Because Lord knows I can't catch you, I don't think, at this point, the way things have uh, panned out. But we'll see what I can do. I did get a uh, Montclair game right for once. Then, Montclair, right? Sunday, <laughs> we have con uh, confirmed Jim Catanzaro, the uh, NCAA Selection Committee Chairman, Will be joining us uh, we will have that show up immediately following the selection show we will have a little bit of a preview of the bracket uh, to discuss with him and as such uh, we will ask him relevant questions to teams that we saw missing or in there in the seedings and uh, bracketing and how it all plays out ultimately uh, could be a lot of different questions to be asked this year we'll see how it goes monday we have ecac selection show where we will bring it to you first the ECAC Bowl selections here on In the Huddle for the second straight year. And then we'll have a host chat show eventually next week. And we're also going to probably do a little feature on Framingham State next week as well. you want to tune in for that one because we may have a special guest or two hopping for that. So the next week, get used to our faces because uh, got, got, I'm sorry to tell you, you're, you're stuck with us yeah. pretty much. And uh, pretty there's going to be a lot yeah. of us. So, JB, the grand finale. Let's uh, hurry up this uh, segment, I guess, at this point with lots of clips still. You are watching Crunch Time for Week 10. In the CCC, we will begin, and it is Western New England having a big win against Becker, 35-0. Uh, Steven Fedorchek's uh, score here uh, from Alec Coleman was a 35-0 score maker. That's what the final ultimately was with 11:31 uh, left in the third quarter. Uh, this three-yard touchdown made it 35-0. They outgained Becker 363-78. And uh, I'll tell you, the 
Uh, Western New England Golden Bears are riding high right now, essentially undefeated in Division Three play still. Let's also look at the Nichols 56 Curry 42 game. Uh, after two quarters of play, 27 to 14, uh, this was uh, a touchdown that made it that 29 yards. Hunter Freira from Michael Pena, uh, you know, they really needed a two possession lead and this 27 to 14 lead made it such because Curry kept trying to come back in this game, just could never get there. The teams combined for almost a thousand yards. In overtime, Husson with a giant comeback against Salve Regina, 29-26. Salve Regina led 23-8 with 140 left in the third quarter. David Morrison, quarterback for Husson, had 320 passing yards and four touchdowns, including the overtime game winner, the six-yard pass to Aiden Hogan. And Endicott, 49, uh, University of New England, 7, as the Endicott offense outgained UNE, 551-245. What's left, you ask? Essentially, Husson at Western New England seems to be the highlight game uh, to see if Western New England can move to 9-0 against Division Three teams or not and perhaps get a home playoff game. It's It'll be razor thin uh, in that position. We, we don't know at this point how it will look in the end. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, Endicott at Nichols could be an interesting game as well. The CCC, sir. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's all going to boil down to whether or not you know, we we see Western New England get that uh, get that home game in the playoffs. Um, a win certainly helps their cause, but with the way the seedings are starting to shape up, it may not matter. Um, I think Endicott's probably going to be the CCC rep in the New England Bowl, like Don agrees, and so uh, there you have it. <laughs> When a dog barks, you know you're right and needs to stop. Uh, here's a game that uh, basically was decided in a back-and-forth affair. Alfred State 21, SUNY Maritime 17. They were down 17-7, to though, was Alfred State. Uh, then in the fourth quarter, uh, Riley Van Vliet uh, with a 75-yard punt return made it. He made it 17-14 uh, uh, with 10.39 left in the fourth quarter. And then the Jake Palmer one-yard touchdown run. With about 120 left, made it 21-17, Alfred State. Uh, Gallaudet uh, went down against uh, Anna Maria, 53-14. Then Daniel Slaughter with a 44-yard scoop and score, 53-14 uh, was the score there. And that was the final. And Castleton beats up on Dean, 38-20, as Devin Wollner had a 21-yard run in the fourth quarter with about 319 left to make it that final score, 38-20. Castleton led 31-6 to a half, but the comeback was short by Dean. Looking at the ECFC standings, let's not, maybe. Uh, only one game uh, left. It's Mount St. Joseph at SUNY Maritime. That is a non-conference game, but it determines if SUNY Maritime will be 5-5 five five or 4-6 four going to the playoffs. Give me 15 seconds on the ECFC. What a crazy season. I mean, just look at the win-loss column for all these teams and Dean losing to the, the one team in the conference that had zero wins. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, let's move on to the new Mac at this point. And you brought it up earlier, MIT, WPI, and Springfield. Uh, basically, the team yeah. that controls its own destiny is MIT. Let's take a look at them, though, against Norwich. They won 34-21. Norwich had played a headstrong game, though, in the third quarter, 9.59 left. Manny Romero from Matt Dunn from 62 yards out made it 14-13 Norwich. 
But about four and a half minutes later, Eric Bradford from Chris Mock, 13-yard touchdown here, made it 20-14, MIT. They never looked back, scored 21 unanswered in that second half, and Mock had four touchdown passes, MIT defense with four interceptions in the game. Then we have, uh, I believe we're going to the Coast Guard WPI game. Check that. Well, let's go to uh, Springfield Main Maritime. And uh, 56-7 final score there. Uh, the, there are seven different rushing uh, touchdown recipients by Springfield, but we're going to pick out here the Chad Shade pass to Andrew Smith from 48 yards out. Uh, that made it 21-0 at the beginning of the second quarter, but 56-7 final in that game. The defense was six sacks, eight tackles for loss, two fumble recoveries, three interceptions, and you know what's coming next, the Partridge and the Pear Tree. Coast Guard uh, could not uh, keep up with WPI 54-7. Allen and Field combined for 20 rushes, 225 yards, and five touchdowns. The WPI defense, three interceptions, five tackles for loss. In Merchant Marine, 47 Catholic 10. This game was over with early as uh, US MMA outgained Catholic 572 to 290. Christian Abbott with 223 passing yards. We called the triple option, but the spread option basically at Merchant Marine Academy because of those types of numbers. Looking at what's up next, MIT. Springfield. If MIT wins, it's their conference. If Springfield wins, then WPI wins the conference unless they lose against Norwich, which the way that Norwich played against MIT, anything's possible right now, I guess. But MIT controls their own destiny, all games at noon, and we'll see who comes out of this in one piece. WPI, though, remember, is the only team that could finish with only one loss. They would be 9-1 with a win, but 9-1 may not be enough to win and will not get them at Pool C bid as well. Amazing, yeah. Sort of haves and haves nots in the new Mac. You see a lot of points on one side of the scoreboard and maybe not so much on the other. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's coming down to uh, whether or not MIT can can uh, get a win against the, the Pride. MassCAC time, Framingham State wins the MassCAC 40-20 to 20 over Bridgewater State. Uh, I think it's Anthony Behonik with the 20-yard interception return for a touchdown. Made it 27-6, about five minutes into the second quarter. Framingham State just wasn't looking back at that point. They were just rolling after Bridgewater State scored first in that game. 27 unanswered points uh, total, and uh, there was the end of that uh, unanswered streak. Adam Wojcicki with 245 total yards and four passing touchdowns. Let's look at the Pirate Bowl. Ahor, or R, I should say, uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. I'll get my pirate-isms right here. It was Maritime beating Dartmouth 28-12. to uh, Looking at Matt Long, the 79-yard touchdown run for the, uh, for the quarterback. Yes, that's the quarterback, folks. Uh, made it 7-0, five minutes into the game. And Maritime didn't look back. He had 317 total yards, three rushing touchdowns on the afternoon. Westfield State 38, Worcester State 15. The Lancers just can't get on the win board yet. They led 9-7 at halftime, but Westfield State had 311 rushing yards in the game. What In Western Connecticut, 41, Fitchburg State 7. David James, 21 for 30, 228, three touchdowns, and the defense forced three turnovers for Western Connecticut. MASCAC standings, uh, it's over, folks. Uh, Western Connecticut, Bridgewater State are uh, at two losses. And we'll see how that ends up. They do not play each other here, obviously, as Bridgewater State plays Mass Maritime and Plymouth State plays Western Connecticut. Framingham State, 
playing winless Worcester State. They have a great strength of schedule right now. That's about to go into the tank uh, from 591 probably down to about 540 because playing an 0-19 just doesn't help your strength of schedule. The Mass Cat. Yeah, but the Rams will be a tough out for whoever they end up facing in the NCAA playoffs. They have been for several years running now. They'll they'll probably be the road team, but they can hang pretty much with anybody. So I wouldn't count out uh, Wojenski and Meyer and company um, from Framingham. They'll they'll put up a good fight. Indeed, indeed. Let's go to the NASCAC and the biggest little game in America. Williams beats Amherst 31 to nine, and Amherst finishes under 500 for the first time since 1993. Uh, you know, Way back. Yeah, the touchdown we're looking at is the uh, first quarter, 927 left, first touchdown of the day. Jack, uh, Joel Nicholas, uh, he had a, uh, what, six yard touchdown run for, uh, it, that's actually his second touchdown. Uh, he had three rushing touchdowns though on the day did Nicholas 14-0 that made the score again 31-9 final in that game Middlebury has to fight in this one but beats Tufts 31-24 Alex Malgin with a three-yard touchdown run here to make it 31-14 just at the beginning of the fourth quarter their first undefeated season in history will journey again with 338 total yards in three touchdowns total then let's look at Bates their biggest comeback in 50 years since 1969 against Hamilton wow. in this case there you go, 26 21 let's look at a bunch of uh, plays here they were down 21 to 0 and in the fourth quarter still down here's Parker Smith from Brandon Costa 35 yards but I mean they're still down then a punt miscue by Hamilton gives them a short field to work with and just a minute after that prior touchdown Sean Bryant from Brendan Costa again, 25 yards out this time, made the final 26-21 as they held on one last chance against or by Hamilton, they held on against that to win the game. Also, Wesleyan 28, Trinity 20. As Trinity uh, their worst season since what? 2014 essentially with their 5 and 4 finish this season after being yep. A two-peat uh, champion there. 476 total yards by Wesleyan and a good time possession advantage. Colby, 47. Bowden, 34. Colby rallies uh, from down 34-20 to score 27 unanswered in this game. Again, your undefeated, undisputed champions of the NESCAC, Middlebury Panthers. How'd you like that? That, I, my dad is digging it. He's a Middlebury class of 70, uh, technically 71, I think, as he uh, needed a little extra semester before he, he got the ski down and get his diploma. But uh, great great run for the Middlebury College Panthers this season. Let's go to New York. Uh, wait, I'm there already. Uh, but let's talk about the games from New York. Uh, we'll start with the Liberty League here. And, uh, huh, you know, when you woke up in the first quarter, and saw uh, the score of the RPI Ithaca game, you may have thought things were reverses. Pat Coleman had suggested on the ATN podcast, not yeah. the case. Let's start in the first quarter with this play. Fakes the handoff, Marinopoulos throws, finds Meisler complete to the five, Meisler on his feet, and he's in for the touchdown. Gets the ball across the plane. Then, just a little bit later, an interception by Battle uh, made it, uh, you know, a chance again for RPI, and with 5:04 left in the first quarter, this happened. Little 
more zip on that would have been an easy touchdown. Direct snap to Lombardi. He is in for the touchdown. The ensuing play from that, it's a fumble on the kickoff by Ithaca. So another chance just two minutes later. Let's see what happens. Topless at quarterback. Gives to Munoz watch. He gets hit in the backfield, hit in the backfield, but that's not enough. He's in for the touchdown. 20 to nothing, RPI leads. Wow, 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 wow. Thanks to Kurt Stutt for all the good audio on that video right there. And a two-yard run made it 21-0. Final score 38-12 as, I'll tell you, failed to kick did Ithaca. That interception, obviously, uh, you got to pin on the offense. Uh, some special teams errors, uh, a lot of different errors early on. And the defense just couldn't hold back RPI from scoring on those short fields. Uh, they led 31-0 at halftime, and then it was just, you know, stall out the game and get it done with at that point. Rochester, all right, check that, Union will go to next. Uh, they had a battle against Utica, no doubt. And, you know, the last, call, yeah, in, yeah the, the only touchdown I should say by them is this Joe Ferreira three-yard touchdown run to make it 10-0 with 327 left in the first half. Then in the uh, third quarter, with only about a minute left, you're going to see Ryan Van Galen uh, throwing this one to Keegan Wright, and that makes it what a 13 to 7 game or check that 10 to 7 game yeah. at that point uni had to add a field goal uh, and then a final Hang chance on. here for utica let's hear it from andrew santillo and yellen gets the snap union it's knocked away pass knocks as he said pass knocked away it makes it final 13 to 7 union and then we go to Hobart, who had a nice win against Buffalo State, 40-23, to as Hoffman had 279 passing yards and three touchdowns. Hafner with 132 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Good run pass balance there by the Statesman. And St. Lawrence, 51, Rochester, 19, as Tyler Groshot with uh, 32 for 39 day, almost 300 yards and six touchdowns by him. Joseph Viscardo, three touchdowns. Back to Groshot, though, he had a 30-year-old school record for mo most touchdowns in a season. He broke there with those six touchdowns, uh, cumulative, again, for the season at that point. And a great job uh, by him. It's been one of those inconsistent seasons for Tyler and for the St. Lawrence Saints, no doubt. But uh, they're trying to finish strong here. Could get to 5-5 five and five with a win coming up this week. Yeah, and there's definitely a, a lot of Liberty League teams still sort of in the hunt for the uh, postseason. I mean, obviously, Union's going to the playoffs, but both RPI and Ithaca have submitted for an ECAC bowl game. Hobart is maybe hoping that the New York State bowl game falls uh, falls their way. So four teams still kind of waiting to see what their postseason uh, outlook might look up, might come out to be. Rockport played a weird game in the Empire 8 against Alfred. It looked like it was going to be a route early, but... Uh... After being up by a touchdown uh, early, uh, Brockport gets the ball back in this way with a punt miscue by Alfred to uh, basically take the ball over the Alfred two-yard line. And Jale, uh, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to call it the Jale cat uh, that uh, transpired from there. The two-yard <laughs> run as he took the yeah. direct, <laughs> direct snap uh, with 6.51 left in the first quarter, made it 13-0. But then look at this touchdown. A.O. Othman from Casey Boston, 66 yards for that touchdown, made a 13-7 with 14-10 left. But then an 11-minute, 28-second drive that took 21 plays to finish, the 21st play being this field goal. Oh, wow. 
Dustin Moyle from 24 yards out made it 16 to seven, which was insurmountable with only about two minutes left in the game. Brockport wins at 16 to seven. Cortland had their share of troubles as did the Hartwick cameraman. Uh, they won 32 to 21. We'll start here with Kevin Roberts field goal getting blocked by Paul Imperial, the 21 yard attempt. Uh, it was obviously no good on that block. And then the next play, it's Zach Tripodi from 66 yards. Uh, but this is the classic move the darn camera play because he didn't get to the end zone. Mm, he got to man. the 28-yard line, and Cole Burgess <laughs> eventually scored in that game. 32-21, uh, Cortland wins. But Hartwick had a 22-21 lead before – or excuse me, uh, Cortland had a 22-21 lead, but the field goal would have made it 24-22 if they had kicked it, just took the wind out of their sails when it was blocked. There is Zach Tripodi, 29 rushes, 205 yards, yep. and a touchdown. And Morris will stay early and often and early and often in this game against St. John Fisher, 49-13. They led 42-6 at halftime. Got to uh, give it up for Kinsey Williams with 22 rushes, 174 yards, three touchdowns. And Morrisville's defense with five interceptions, including a pick six. Didn't see that level of a win coming there. We thought Morrisville would be good, but wow. Uh, Brock yeah, Morrisville's in third place in the, uh, in the Empire right now. I mean, good good point. I mean, uh, and we're looking at this here. Uh, also, Brockport and Cortland both 8 1, but obviously Brockport 5 0 in the conference. So they win the conference. Cortland is uh, playing a non conference opponent in Ithaca. Uh, it's some uh, game at MetLife Stadium. I'm nothing major down there. Uh, Brockport, though, uh, is going to be facing Morrisville State, the third place team, trying to make some noise. Uh, we'll see what happens and how Brockport treats the game because there are questions right now, quarterback for them. Freddie June seemed to be out of that game. Helwig was in, but they were trying all kinds of direct snap things in that game. And so we'll see how it plays out. But uh, what are you thinking here about these uh, Brockport Golden Eagles? Well, what a what a coaching job by uh, Mangoni and Potter and company up there in Brockport. They've really uh, turned their season around after a, a, a tough week one start. Rattled off what eight wins in a row now and another uh, conference title. Uh, they go they're going into the playoffs with a lot of momentum. Uh, their run game looks strong. Their defense looks strong. I mean, they could uh, they could go a little further than than folks might expect. We'll see. Okay, we're going to have to speed up the clips here in the next uh, discussion because in the MAC, we didn't have – this is not a basketball score. I know basketball season has begun in Division Three. This is not a basketball score when we put it up here. FDU Florham beats Alvernia 84 to 56, 140 points combined. Oh almost breaks God. the record in Division Three for combined scoring. Uh we would like to tell you about Tommy Galante's day. And we're going to tell you by running all nine touchdown clips. I, I said it, folks. Nine. Here we go. 39 seconds left in the first quarter. Tommy Galante, a 14-yard run. He makes it 21-7 there. Then, Connor Perez catches a 70-yard pass from Galante with 12.56 left in the first half. That's 28-7 FDU Florham. Hey, Robert Blakely uh, got in the mix, but we won't worry about him at 42 to 14. At 49 to 14, though, Demarcus Price from Tommy Galante, 17 yards out, uh, made it 49 to 14. Hey, halftime came up. Tommy Galante said, hey, coach, keep me in. And did he ever? As Roy Sullivan catches a five-yard pass from him, 56 to 21. Then Connor Perez back in the act for his third touchdown catch from Galante. 
It's 63-28 with 5.03 left in the third quarter. Hey, Tommy Galante, why don't you go for a 42-yard run on your own? Okay, there it is. 69-35 uh, right around the end of the third quarter. Three Alvernia touchdowns later, Connor Perez gets his fourth touchdown reception from Galante. A 28-yard pass, 77-56 with 7.11 left in the regulation period. And Tommy Galante, he decides, coach, I can catch the ball too. So Mark Kepler throws him a 56-yard touchdown pass, 84-56 with 2.40 left in the fourth quarter. That's the final. Okay, there is that. Wow. I don't think there's anything else I'm going to tell you about that game at this point. Misericordia cannot beat Albright, who breaks a 19-game losing streak. Let's look at two uh, Malik, Book, uh, Malik Bootman touchdowns here. He had 33 rushes, 148 yards, and two touchdowns. The first one, three yards. The second one here is eight yards out. And that, again, makes it 20 to nothing at that point. Final score, 20 to 10. Albright, congratulations to them. Stevenson doubles up Wilkes 42-21 as uh, Wilkes was held to 63 passing yards. Ryan Sedgwick 22 for 27, 278, and three touchdowns for Stevenson. Stevenson, remember, with a DelVal loss, would split the conference, although DelVal wins all tiebreakers. Widener is who DelVal plays next, and that's a 41-21 win by them over Kings as there was a good time of, time of possession advantage there for Widener. They scored 21 unanswered in the second quarter. And Lycoming, 48, Lebanon Valley, 3, as Lycoming outgained Lebanon Valley, 515-202, and the defense forced four turnovers. The max standings, um, pretty much what you'd expect to right now, of course. You know, DelVal, Stevenson, Wilkes, Widener. Uh, Wilkes maybe the uh, odd sock there. Uh, the kind of uh, memories of the uh, recent old days having Del Val, Stevenson, and Widener toward the top of those standings. So, again, Wilkes, the oddball right now uh, that people didn't necessarily expect to see. And Del Val will play Widener at 1 o'clock on Saturday. And JB's got nothing to say about the Mac, so we'll go to the end chat. <laughs> Hopefully I can edit that into uh, shorter than three seconds of silence. <laughs> that was pretty classic yeah, here. Yeah. In the, in the end, Jack. I, I need a break. 84 points. What did you say after 84 points? I mean, I, I, I just read you this entire sheet, basically. You had nothing to say to me about the Mac. How about Wesley? Well, we tracked this game for a while because Kane had a 13-12 lead yeah. at halftime. It's Tyree Taylor uh, to Dante Jamison uh, from uh, six yards out, made it 13-12 before halftime. But Marcellus Park opened up this game with an 87-yard touchdown run. Here it is. Be able to run five seconds off on any given play here. Rocco in the shotgun will hand it off to the near side. It's Pack. He's got the 15, 20. Goodbye. 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. Pack to the 40, 30, 20. Goodbye, Marcellus Pack. Thanks to Sean Green for that audio on the video. 27-13 final. Wesley wins in a game that was closer than it should have been, to be honest. Uh, they trailed uh, for a little while in that game, don't forget. And Wesley's offense overcame four turnovers, gain gaining 442 yards. Should not have been that close. I can't say it enough times. Hey, Rowan Christopher Newport, what an ending in this game. They were down 20 to nothing and 23 to 7 was Rowan at halftime. It was 23 to 7. 
Third quarter, 10:40 left. Mike Husney with 10-yard touchdown run gives Rowan their first lead of the game at 27-23. But 23 seconds left. Fourth quarter, first and goal from the two for CNU. And oh my goodness, the bad snap. Anthony Larosa lands on it, and that ends the game. Christopher Newport two yards away from winning the game essentially, and they threw it away. Rowan wins it and moves to three and six on the season, 27 to 23. Also, Salisbury just rolled over TCNJ 62 to 20, outgaining them 517 to 269. And Montclair State 36, William Patterson 6, as they outgained William Patterson 445 to 162. Gabriel Birch 280 in passing yards, one uh, passing touchdown. The Frank Rossi jinx is over. We uh, got one right, finally. (laughs) Fifth time's the charm. Uh, Salisbury has won the conference, obviously. Wesley uh, cannot catch them, but Wesley's hoping for a pool C bid, and they'll have to beat Christopher Newport, who's 2-7 and seven currently, and hope their strength of schedule passes muster, ultimately. That's the end, Jack, and that is crunch time for Week 10. Okay, folks, you've been waiting all show. For this segment, yeah, you've got something. You've got something for for me, don't you, Frank? You've, uh, I certainly do. Hired a musician or something? Commissioned a, a, a piece? Maestro, please. Jamie Statchett. Yeah. He's gonna chat about stats. That's right. It's Jamie Statchett. Where he chats about some stats. I will say that Will uh, from Nomad uh, Coffee and Crepes uh, did this yesterday while I was uh, doing some editing work and whatnot. And uh, one of the takes, he said that you stat about some chats. But uh, we got it right eventually. And yeah, go figure that Mm -hmm. one out. Uh, JB, this is your segment. I'm going to sit back and relax because I've been talking way too much. Yeah, well... Got to start off with Tommy Galante from FDU Florham. I mean, 84 points, nine touchdowns, six passing, two rushing, one receiving even. I mean, one of the craziest games that I can ever remember in D3 history. Like you said, it didn't break the record, but 140 total points sure uh, sure came close. Um, and then we saw a lot of um, you know lopsided games with Salisbury scoring 62, Springfield Nick- Nichols both scored 56. WPI put up 54. Anna Maria scored 53. And St. Lawrence, 51. Uh, their quarterback, Tyler Groshot, six passing TDs. Albright, I wanted to give a shout-out to Albright's. Uh, Malik uh, Bootman, you know, 33 carries, 148 yards, two touchdowns. Been a long time coming for the Lions. Congrats on the win. Um, as far as defense goes, I mean, RPI, what else can you say? I mean, they just they took it to Ithaca. Played an awesome, awesome game. Um, as did Western New England. They shut out Becker, and uh, for the second week in a row, Coitman, uh, their linebacker, had almost 20, 20 tackles again. Three tackles for loss. Um, Morrisville State's uh, Justin Donnelly had a sixty-yard pick-six, one of five interceptions by the Mustangs, who were trying to hang on to a potential ECAC bowl berth. Um, and then Framingham State, Anthony. Uh, Bahonic, uh six tackles, two for loss, a fumble recovery, an interception. And then, as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, Frank, um, Tony LaRosa from Rowan made, made a heads-up play to give the win uh, to the profs. And so uh, special teams, I mean, you got to give a shout-out to Riley Van Fleet. Like, that's like an all-name team 
player right there. 75-yard punt return for a touchdown, turned the tide uh, for the Pioneers and helped them win that game against against the Privateers. Hobart running back um, Tim Denham, 80-yard kickoff return for a touchdown in the uh, senior night game against Buffalo State. And, uh, you know, once again, Dylan Dubuque uh, blocking field goals, doing stuff on special teams for Cortland. They've had like 10 blocked field goals this season, Frank. One of the most uh, crazy stats I've seen in a while. And they might need one of those uh, kind of plays at MetLife this weekend when they take on Ithaca in the big Portico matchup. So that's uh, that's all I got for stat chat this week, Frank. And I'm out of here. We 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 uh, we've got some disagreement on who exactly blocked uh, that uh, field goal uh, because uh, I'm showing Paul Imperial on one of the stat uh, sources we have. So whoever did block that Cortland uh, or by Cortland uh, that uh, Harvard field goal, good job <laughs> to you. We don't want to take away uh, who it may have been or may not have been ultimately. JB, uh, we are going to now go to the regional ranking show that was earlier. So let's go to that. Okay, we are live here around, what is this, uh, 2.28 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time on Wednesday. Uh, what were they out about 90 minutes later last week? I think the regional rankings, around 1.30 they got released today. Uh, if you're watching our host chat show, uh, this is uh, pre-recorded, obviously. But um, nonetheless, if you're watching live uh, or even recorded, we're going to go through the regional rankings right now. Um, 1 through 10 from the second East Regional Rankings release and discuss for, for about 15 minutes what it all means, what, uh, what your team's hopes are or aren't at this point. So we're going to go and uh, go one at a time. And uh, JB, I'll let you kind of uh, extrapolate once we uh, get uh, team by team on the board, uh, your thoughts on their chances, what you think about their rankings, etc. So here we go. Let us start with number one. And Salisbury remains the number one team with a 501 strength of schedule, uh, wins against Wesley, and I am forgetting the second team. Oshkosh. Oshkosh, thank you. Uh, that's why I'm forgetting because they're not in our region, but they do remain regionally ranked. <laughs> uh, they have William Patterson remaining at two and seven, so their strength of schedule is actually going to fall below 500, it's and that's an interesting problem. Yeah. Uh, regionally ranked opponents matter here, obviously, and being two and zero oh is the best of the bunch. Uh, in the East. So what, what's your thought on Salisbury? Well, I think, um, you know, Salisbury has a shot at maybe not a number one seed, Frank, but I do feel like they're at least strong enough to be, you know, paired as number two with uh, maybe someone from the South. I, I don't know. Um, when you look at the overall uh, rankings, uh, there's three undefeated teams in the East. There are uh, two only in the north, and there are four in the south, and only two in the west. So, um, based on that, you know, I could see something happen maybe with like a Muhlenberg or Wheaton getting paired off um, with maybe one of the, the west region uh, teams as a one, like Whitewater. But Salisbury's numbers there, I mean, if Oshkosh can hang on, although they'll probably drop out. Because um, I think they have to play Whitewater in their season finale, so that's probably a loss that takes them off the board. So Salisbury, with really only one uh, regionally ranked opponent, the chances of them being a one seed seem to be pretty uh, pretty tough to me, Frank. Okay, uh, with you still on the screen, uh, we will attempt to uh, go to the next step here, and that is number two, Wesley, five sixty strength of schedule. They had lost to. Uh, 
Salisbury, and they have won against uh, two teams. I, I probably shouldn't name both right now because uh, it will give away a little bit here. But uh, they did beat Delaware Valley, which we assume is in the rankings here. And JB, uh, they seem to be protecting Wesley by adding the extra regionally ranked opponent win, uh, which didn't count last week, remember? Yeah, it just seems a little <laughs> interesting that that's happening here. But uh, the 560 strength schedule will drop also with uh, Christopher Newport. We should also mention, uh, it, because we just said it, Delaware Valley is at number three. 8-1, strength of schedule, 1-1, uh, one one. the win is against Wesley, the loss, or, or, I'm sorry, the loss is against Wesley, the win is against, we'll say, Stevenson, who is actually ranked in this list, and that's not a surprise to many people, so that's why I bring it up now. So there's Wesley, there's Delaware sure. Valley, any surprise that there's no change there? No, not really. I mean, even though um, in our conversation last week with Greg Thomas, um, you know, the d3football.com bracketologist expert. Um, and uh, hopefully he's watching. Hey, Greg. Uh, even though it's hard, you know, you don't want to pair these two together, it seems like they're just, they're kind of just attached at the hip before or overtime game will do that to you. And just their their history track record, um, you know, they're, I think the, the NJAC and the, and the MAC are getting a little bit of the benefit, benefit of the doubt here. Honestly, I would have thought that maybe at the 9-0 mark, we could have seen Union crack into the top three. Doesn't seem like they're going to let them do that. Um, maybe that'll change over the weekend, but um, these two teams seem to be just kind of, you know, 2A and B, basically. With Widener having a 5-4, and four, uh, Delaware Valley's strength schedule should remain right around the 528 level, not far from 530 or 525 on either side. It's, uh, yeah. on, mm -hmm. it, it's good, but the problem is they have a loss, and they have a loss, and they have a loss. And so that, I, I see it that way because when you look at number four, and that's a union uh, right now at 9-0, uh, 496 strength of schedule, which should go up against 6-3 six, six and three RPI, and regionally yeah, ranked opponents, they are still going to be 1-0 and in the regionally ranked opponents now. Uh, this, I think, is a table-set scenario for Union to at least go above Delaware Valley. I, I truly believe Union will go somewhere between Wesley and Delaware Valley. I don't think they're going to put them above Wesley. But I think Union is assured a home game with a win versus RPI. Would you disagree with that? No, and I think they're probably even assured a home game, even if for some reason they trip up and lose at nine and one. Um, I do feel like you know Union will get a better uh, situation uh, seeding and bracket wise if they can if they can go ten and zero, because um, arguably you could you know you could say I mean, if you look at their resume, it's not that much different from Salisbury's. Uh, maybe they could catapult over these two teams, but it does seem like. Um, you know, Wesley is getting a little more of the benefit of the doubt, maybe based on some more historical performance. Because, man, when we watched them play uh, Kane last weekend, uh, it's not the same kind of Wolverine team we're used to seeing, but, you know, they still managed to get the win. They uh, tread lightly uh, versus Montclair State. They tread lightly against uh, Salisbury to a degree, but obviously Salisbury is a good team. Um, they, uh, against Kane, against Endicott, it's, it's been an adventure of a season for Wesley, but they are still eight and one, seven and one in division three. Number five could surprise some people. And here it comes Brockport. We'll go big screen to show you that Brockport wow. is 
a 540 uh, yeah 540 strength of schedule for Brockport uh with a one and0 that's against Cortland they have Morrisville State remaining at five and four so their strength of schedule may drop uh, only very slightly or may increase even by a couple thousandths of a point uh, you should stick around that 540 range generally uh there's a you know leapfrog that occurred and we'll include what that leapfrog is right now and that's Western New England at 500 strength of schedule which dropped off against or after uh last week's uh game and you know one to know of a uh regionally ranked opponent scenario that we're beginning to get a clue as to who they ranked perhaps in that number 10 spot since we've left the mystery with wesley in western new england and we ask ourselves we who's the common opponent <laughs> yeah so uh you know if you're smart Spoiler enough you know alert. who's there yeah uh, Hudson four and five uh, is who's remaining, so they could j- drop below five hundred strength of schedule. Is that enough of a reason? Do you think to jump Brockport over Western New England, who is technically undefeated in Division Three, whereas Brockport is not? You know, I think once again, it's um, it's some of the the conference reputations sort of taking hold here. I think um, you know, the winning the Empire Eight is definitely looked upon as a pretty significant feat and I think if you look at the makeup of the uh, you know of the of the of the rack that you know these people are you know they tend to lean towards the Wesleys and Del Valles and the Brockports um, so I know I'm not surprised but you know to be fair too to um, Coach Mangoni and the Golden Eagles they have been playing uh, great football and they have um, they have looked really good especially in the last few weeks uh, taking care of um, of Cortland in that in that comeback they they uh, you know Took a, a had a tough time putting Alfred away, but they took care of business, and they're just they're playing uh, great on all sides of the ball. They're ranked back in the top twenty-five. Things are definitely looking up for the Golden Eagles. So, yeah, they might. I, you know, you could very much make the case that they deserve uh, to be in that five spot ahead of uh, you know mostly New England teams, which typically you know go one and done in the tournament. So we we have an assessment right now that a Golden Eagle is greater than a Golden Bear. Is that what's going on here? Uh, they definitely get more altitude. I'll say that. I, I'll give you that. And uh, in this uh, set of rankings, indeed, they did. Cortland is an interesting case here. Let's take a, look, a closer look at Cortland. 8 1, 466 strength of schedule, which is low and probably is the lowest one you'll yeah. see on this board of 10. They have the loss, and it's a regionally ranked loss against Brockport. A close right. loss at that. They have uh, the Cortica game against Ithaca coming up next at 7 and 2. So their strength of schedule should improve remarkably, but their profile right now is nothing special. Uh, and I hate to say that to Cortland fans, but it's not. Yeah, I honestly, Frank, think that even if they win Cortica, the chances of them getting an at-large berth are next to none. Um, just the, the the profile, the lack of a, of a regional ranked opponent win, especially now that Ithaca has dropped off um, the map from what we can tell. So... Yeah, I think there's only one team um, getting picked out of the East, and fortunately for Wesley fans, they're playing against a down captain squad this weekend. Should be heavily favored. I know that there's some other teams out there at the bottom of this board that might might be thinking, "Hey, well, if you know, Wesley or um, Cortland loses, uh, we're we're first in line." Ain't gonna happen, guys. Sorry. Um, well, one such are, team. Are very slim. One such team is coming up next, and that is a uh, new entrant to our list here, Hobart. Seven and two, 
600 strength of schedule, highest strength of schedule in this batch. One and yep. one against regionally ranked opponents right now. Uh, that is a loss against Union and a win against Brockport. Now, Hobart has created a number of issues for this committee or this rack because yeah. where do you order them? Do you put them between Union and Brockport somehow? Because you could justify that despite that extra loss. But they're Clearly saying not, essentially though. strength of schedule and regionally ranked opponent scenario Maybe a double uh, counting scenario here that basically mm -hmm. Brockport's helping their strength of schedule remarkably and Union, their loss is helping their strength of schedule remarkably. And because of it, uh, and because 0-9 Rochester is next, they don't deserve to leapfrog in that manner. Uh, it would yep. have been a huge leapfrog to go from unranked to fifth or sixth, depending on how they handled it. Uh, yep. If they had started ranking Hobart last week, it would have been a different story, I think. But that said... As you just said, Hobart, while it's nice to see you on the board, it's not going to mean much at the end of the day, uh, barring no. complete upheaval in Pool C ranks. That means, basically, Wesley loses to a 2-7 and seven CNU team. Cortland loses to Ithaca. Um, let's see. Whitewater beats Oshkosh and other carnage in the uh, YAC occurs. Bethel, Redlands, yeah. and Wartburg lose. Um, John Carroll loses to Baldwin Wallace. <laughs> Muhlenberg loses. I mean, you need loses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you it would have to be a total, collapse, a total national, you know, catastrophe for anything to, to to pan out. Honestly, you know, when I look at the board here, Frank Hobart's best chance of, of postseason is playing against that Cortland team in the New York State Bowl. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to announce that after the weekend. Uh, that would be a great matchup, um, irrespective of how it goes. I mean, I could see, you know, maybe Cortland squeaking in um, as a 9 and one team if they beat Ithaca. But the chances of that, um, looking at, you know, the other the other regions um, and the fact there's only five at large bids is so slim. Um, you know, you have uh, Redlands at three in the west. Uh, that's, that's a team that's probably taken one of the pool C's. Uh, Susquehanna at eight and one is looking good for uh, one of those. John Carroll's at eight and one is looking good for one of those. Not to mention North Central. I mean, there's just too many uh, teams and too few spots. I, I pretty much I would take it to the bank. Um, Wesley, don't screw it up and, and lose to CNU this weekend, and you're in. Um, but that's all the East is going to get. Stevenson is up next uh, behind Hobart with the win versus Wilkes, and so they displace Wilkes. Uh, moved to 0-2 against regionally ranked, though, because uh, Bridgewater in the south is number three right now. They lost to them, and they right. lost to number three in the east, Delaware Valley. We won't belabor this. Endicott at 7-2, 5-0-8, uh, strength of schedule. Their loss uh, to Wesley and to Western New England. Others considered. We have six up here. Framingham State maybe the next one out because... Uh, with that 591, the problem is that well, they're, in the the beat they're in the tournament no matter what. Yep. So they're they're going. They're they have a pool A from the MassCAC. Um, you know we know the bot this bottom half Ithaca, Wilkes, and Westcon. They're playing for other uh, bowl bids that that don't start with NCAA. Really, the big question mark is whether or not it'll be MIT or WPI. Maybe Springfield by some far far fetched you know possibility um, winning the new max uh, pool a bid so one of the one of these two teams on the right here 
will be in the tournament. We'll, we'll find out Saturday. Framingham definitely is, and we'll probably play on the road against, you know, any one of the teams in the, uh, the top four or five to the, to the left of your screen. So they're, the Rams are in, uh, just a matter of where they're going, and just draw a 500-mile circle around uh, the Worcester area, and you can kind of figure it out. Let's go back through these real quick here uh, in review. Number one, Salisbury 8-0 with a middling strength of schedule, but a very good regionally ranked opponent's record. Uh, Wesley, number two, 560, which is high for a strength of schedule, but will drop off again uh, like Salisbury's will. Uh, a two and one regionally ranked opponent's record, very good also. Uh, Delaware Valley, number three, 528 is very good. A strength of schedule, Widener shouldn't hurt that much. One and one against regionally ranked opponents. But Union's got a bigger opponent at number four coming up. And uh, we'll just get those back up there. There's Union. There I love when it does that. Yep. Yep. Uh, I will say this, Frank. I'm going, I'm sticking to my stump of the uh, – we're going to see something similar to the, the 2012 um, playoff uh, rankings where the East did not have a number one seed. Oh, I, I think you're um, right right now. Salisbury's not I justifying think. it with the strength of schedule at yeah. all. And that's the problem. Yeah, especially with with Wheaton and and Mountain Union um, in the north. I mean, Wheaton being based in Illinois is interesting because they you know they can be paired up pretty easily with a West team like a Whitewater. Um, you know, you could see possibly a Muhlenberg. Um, you know, getting uh, getting a, a, a second seed in either a um, Mount Union or a Mary Harden Baylor bracket. But I just don't see um, I just don't see the the overall you know the strength of the of the East really you know justifying its own pod. Um, we'll see what happens uh, come Sunday when we talk with uh, with the committee chair for what is this like the the tenth or eleventh year in a row. Um, and hopefully we can uh, you know get some some candid answers out of Jim, who's never been afraid to to speak plainly. So. Twelfth uh, straight uh, season, actually, we've done it every year uh, that we've been on uh, the air. So, uh, Union at nine and zero, number four, four ninety six should go up from uh, the RPI game at one and zero. Also, in the regionally ranked opponents, Brockport five forty should remain about where it is with that loss. So, uh, they should remain below Union no matter what happens here. One and zero with the win against Cortland, number six, Western New England five hundred, and it shouldn't get any better really uh, with Huston still on their schedule. But they picked up a regionally ranked win against Endicott in the meantime. Cortland, a very middling profile with 466 strength of schedule and no regionally ranked opponent wins but one loss. Ithaca will help them on Saturday. Hobart, 7-2, very strong strength of schedule in a 1-1 one one regionally ranked opponent situation. That strength of schedule is about to take a nosedive against Rochester, 0-9. Stevenson, 7-2, 542, again a strong Strength of schedule at this point of the season, but 0-2 against regionally ranked opponents, and Lycoming should drop that strength of schedule slightly. And number 10, Endicott, 7-2, uh, middling 508 strength of schedule, 0-2 against regionally ranked opponents. Nichols will help the strength of schedule, but Endicott's playing for pride in bowl games right now, as you said, as is Stevenson, as is Hobart, and as is probably Cortland. Uh, I, I just don't see Cortland really getting much of a look, even with a win against Ithaca on yep. this Saturday. JB, last thoughts before we close this show out. The last thought is unfortunately not a real super positive one. It's It seems like, you know, this this time around, it's more about uh, who you lost to um, versus who you beat, you know, um, with maybe the exception of, you know, uh, 
teams like Salisbury Union and, and Western New England who, who haven't lost, but um, they're still not necessarily getting, well, at least in the case of Union, and maybe you, you can make an argument for Western New England too, that they're not really up as high as they, maybe they could be for the undefeated record. Um, I think the, the Liberty League, once again, is getting a little little disrespected on, on one hand, um, even though they've got two two teams in the top 10. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how this weekend pans out. I, I'm going to stick with my prediction that there will not be an East number one seed. It will be a, a tournament like we saw in 2012, and that Wesley will be the one team from the East region that will get uh, the pool C bid, and that's it. Look, if Hobart beats uh, Rochester and Ithaca beats Cortland yes. this weekend – and Ithaca ends up ranked in the final rankings. To me, with Union strength of schedule probably surpassing Salisbury's at the end of the day, I can't really say that Union wouldn't deserve to go above Salisbury. But it would take the committee sure. a set of real cojones to, at that point, jump Union three spots when they haven't really done anything to jump Union already. And that bothers me a little bit that they didn't start to move this week because you could have justified yeah, I mean, moving Union's Union above two, Union's beaten two top twenty-five teams uh, this season, and um, you know they're going into a big rivalry game against a team that's probably going to an ECAC uh, uh, bowl game, probably. But yeah, I mean the uh, Dutchmen are kind of getting a little little dissed here, Frank, um, as is the, the league, I think, to a certain extent. But hey, at the end of the day, it is what it is, and um, you know, we're, we'll see how it pans out with the with the new Mac uh, getting into the fold. We'll, we'll see where uh, the MassCAC teams get placed, and we'll, we'll go from there. Friday, around 11 a.m., lightning prediction. Sunday, we will have uh, Jim Cat and Zero right after the selections are announced on the NCA website, uh, probably around 6.30, 7 o'clock. Uh, we all have to check what time that is. Monday, ECAC uh, pairings announced on this show. And also we'll have the New York Bowl uh, pairing as well to the degree that we can get that in time. Uh, then also our normal shows. Thursday, though, to, uh, tomorrow, uh, this will drop on Wednesday, obviously, uh, live and recorded. Thursday, interviews with Coast Guard's Bill George and Grant Tragney of RPI, uh, senior co-captain there. You'll want to stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of the day and week.